Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. Dancing into your weekend. Greeny with you, presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests on the Goodyear Hotline and their great this hour. Brian Kelly, coach of Notre Dame, in 15 minutes getting us set for the championship game. Just played Alabama. Frankly, played them as tough as basically anyone has all year. We'll talk to him about that offense. Talk to him about some of those players at the next level. Much more. And then the legend, Al Michaels. I love talking to the legendary voices of sports. I did a whole podcast season on them this fall. Al Michaels, one of the all-time greats. We'll talk with him in 45 minutes. He's got Steelers-Browns Sunday night on NBC. Great weekend. Unprecedented weekend. Literally unprecedented. Six playoff games in the NFL this weekend, and that's followed up Monday night by the college championship game. You can't ask for more. So I'm thrilled. But that's not where we begin, to my surprise. Who would have thought we'd begin with an entirely other story? But it is, and quite simply, get to Sean. Get to Sean. The urgency in my voice. Get to Sean. Find a way. Find a way to get him. Deshaun Watson is aggravated. He's sick and tired of the nonsense in Houston. And I went through all the details of the story in our first hour today, and it just is what it is. Suffice it to say, Deshaun Watson has gotten sick and tired of dealing with the dysfunction, the total dysfunction at the apex of the Texans organization, and he may want out. Well, let's say this. He wants out. The question is, can he get himself out? So we talked about that earlier, and we talked about all the teams. I just started going down a list of teams that should get him and should find any way to get him. I mean, the Jets have the second pick in the draft. Trade that, plus the Chrysler building. The Bears, trade every asset you have, plus the water tower and Marshall Fields and, 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 and anything else you want to throw in there. Gibsons. The Colts, throw in a, as much shrimp cocktail from St. Elmo's as they want. The Eagles, throw in the Rocky statue, the Foal statue, and Carson Wentz. Patriots, every freaking Dunkin' Donuts in Foxborough. Trade whatever you have. Jacksonville, trade the first pick. Trade the Trevor Lawrence pick for Deshaun Watson. We know what Deshaun Watson is. And what he is, is I think the second best quarterback in the National Football League when you take out the legends. And I don't think he's that far from being the first. That's been my opinion for a while. So it got us to thinking, what teams out there wouldn't trade for him? So Nuno put together a little list. So Bubba, let me bounce some of these off you and you tell me if you agree. So this is the list. One, two, three, four. He's got five, six. He's got six teams that he thinks wouldn't trade for him. And then he put question marks next to four more. One of them, Bob, I'll tell you in advance, is near and dear to your heart. But here we go. These are teams that we believe might not trade for him. Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes, they would not trade for Deshaun. I won't even bother asking. That one they would not. Buffalo. If you were Buffalo, would you trade Josh Allen for Deshaun Watson? Bubba. No. I wouldn't either. And... That is, I, I believe that Deshaun Watson is a better player than Josh Allen. If I were starting a team, I would start it with Deshaun above Josh Allen. But when you're Buffalo, this is your guy. You've developed him, and he's, he's special, and he's young. So I agree with that. The, I do not believe the Bills would trade for him. How about Seattle with Russell Wilson? No. No, I wouldn't either, but what is the age difference? Like how? Someone, I should have looked this up a minute ago. Someone tell me, how old is Russell? Russell, I think, is 33? Do I have that right? 33-ish? He's 33? 32. He's only 32. Okay, I'm with that. Seattle would not trade him. Seattle would not trade him, and I have no problem with that. So that's, that's, that's two teams, three teams. The Chargers with Justin Herbert. If you're the Chargers, would you trade Justin Herbert for Deshaun Watson? No. See, I think I wouldn't either. And again, it goes back to we are in no way guaranteed that Herbert is going to be as good as Deshaun. In fact, you'd bet against it because... 
you could be really, really, really good and not be as good as Deshaun. But you've got him. He's your pick. You've sort of started the momentum here. Plus, he's much cheaper for the next several years. So I'm with that. How about the Jaguars with the number one pick? Nuno put the Jaguars on the list. If you've got the number one pick, which for all intents and purposes is Trevor Lawrence. Bubba, would you trade Trevor Lawrence for Deshaun Watson? Yes. I would too. So that's I would too. I would do that. I understand the money is the one thing. I mean, Trevor Lawrence, you're going to control him like you do all these rookies for five years. He's a lot cheaper than the alternative of Deshaun, who's got a big contract. But to me, Deshaun is worth every penny. How about the Bengals with Joe Burrow? Would you trade Joe Burrow for Deshaun Watson? That's a tough one. See, Joe Burrow is hurt. Deshaun got hurt his rookie year, too. Deshaun, if you remember back to how it started, he didn't start the first week or two. Then they threw him out there. They looked terrible. Then he went out there and played. They looked great. They looked awful without him. They started looking great with him. And then he tore up his knee and missed most of his rookie year. So that's kind of like what we're seeing with Burrow. Burrow looked great, tore up his knee, missed the rest of his rookie year. Would you trade Joe Burrow right now if you're Cincinnati for Deshaun Watson? I would probably say yes. The only reason you wouldn't is because Burrow's a hometown kid. There's something about that story that I think you want to talk about your community being so connected to someone that 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 Burrow is a hometown kid, and I think he's going to be great. Do I think he's going to be as good as Deshaun Watson? Again, that's tough to say. And we're going to run short on time here, so I don't want to spend a lot of time. But he's got Ravens, Dolphins, Cardinals, and Cowboys. Would you trade Lamar Jackson for him? Would you trade Tua? For him, I would put def- Dolphins, definitely. Definitely. I would definitely trade him if I'm the Dolphins. Cardinals with Kyler Murray? Mm. I stick with Kyler. Yeah, I think so. Again, not because no. I think he's as good as Deshaun Watson, but you've got that guy. He has a chance to be special. And then finally, I just wanted to ask you this one, brother. <laughs> That's what How about the Cowboys? Would you trade Dak Prescott for Deshaun Watson? No. You would not. No you need. You are such a homer. We, we got our guy. No need. You know what? I respect that. Despite the fact that you are a Cowboys fan from from the state of Connecticut, for which I have no respect, there is no greater... By the way, for those of you who don't know our friend Bubba here, Bubba, let's go through the teams you root for, all right? <laughs> so you grew up where again? What, what town in Connecticut are you from? Avon. You're from Avon, Connecticut, highfalutin little suburb of Hartford there. Okay. That's okay. Your football team is the Dallas Cowboys. Right. Who's your college basketball team? Uh, Duke. Your college basketball team is Duke. There is no college basketball team that represents a Cowboy fan better than being a fan of Duke from Connecticut. How did you become a fan of Duke living in Connecticut, where UConn has been, both the men's and the women's programs yeah, have no, been I don't awesome like, your I don't whole like life? I don't like UConn at all. You don't, don't like UConn? Hate them. You hate them? Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, I know your, 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 your baseball team is the Mets. Yeah, no, I mean, quick, long story short for the uh, Duke is my parents are from New Jersey, both of them. They grew up with Bobby Hurley's family. So I was a child when I was like five or six. Bobby Hurley was playing for Duke, starting to watch basketball. They're like, hey, we know him. We know the family. I'm like, oh, that's cool. So I started watching Duke. I have to respect that. So I'm like, oh, we know. Cool. So I became a huge, I basically was a Bobby Hurley fan. I named my dog Hurley. I wore 11. Uh, He was my favorite player. I became a Duke fan because of that, because of our families, you know, we're not like we're best friends with them by any means, but they they knew the Hurleys, and so they're from Jersey City. So I became a Duke fan because of that and stayed with them. Okay. That may be more information than we needed, but I, I, I do respect it. 
Thank that's you. not that's not, that's better than I was expecting. Yeah, I, I, it's, I'm not because of front running. That's the it's point. Way, oh, well, it is because of front running, but I still respect the take. One way or another, let's see. With somewhat, we need to find a way to get to Sean Watson. The bottom line is, I need to find a way to get to Sean Watson to the Jets. That that is this is now my mission in life. If there is some way I can do it, I'm 100 percent in. All right, our poll question today is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Greeny. And the poll question is a good one. With Urban Meyer, according to Shefty, interviewing with the Jacksonville Jaguars today and all of these coaching vacancies out there, which of these traditionally college coaches would you want coaching your NFL team? Urban Meyer, Jim Harbaugh, Ryan Day, or Lincoln Riley? Those are the options that I put up on my Twitter page, at ESPN Greeny. The voting has 37 minutes left. Right now, 32% of you have voted for Urban Meyer, 29% Lincoln Riley, 22% Jim Harbaugh, and only 15% the guy I would pick, which is Ryan Day. Ryan Day has turned down the opportunity to interview with NFL teams. Ryan Day has NFL experience. He was Chip Kelly's guy. He was with the Eagles and with the 49ers with Chip Kelly. He has NFL experience. He runs a pro-style offense. He's, Ryan Day is the goods. Someone needs to drive a truck filled with money to Columbus, Ohio, and hire Ryan Day. Anyway, you can cast your vote. Again, it's a poll question brought to you by ZipRecruiter. You can cast your vote on my Twitter page, at ESPN Greeny. Uh, we will talk about the college football championship game up next. Brian Kelly, head coach of Notre Dame. They had the last crack at Alabama. Can anyone slow those guys down? Greeny, the podcast. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Another absolute rope thrown by Fields. Touchdown, Ohio State. Well, Ohio State's got another tough assignment on defense. 25 straight for Bama, scoring 35-plus. Harris threw a whole left side. He's going to go all the way. This is Greeny with you on ESPN Radio. We're looking ahead to what really might be the best weekend of football ever. Six NFL wildcard playoff games this weekend. First time we've ever had that. And then it's bookended, as you just heard there by the fabulous college football national championship game between Alabama and Ohio State, both great teams, legendary programs, and we'll see them Monday night on ESPN. And here to help us look ahead to that is our friend Brian Kelly, the head football coach at Notre Dame, who is with us on the Goodyear Hotline. Hello, Coach. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Greeny. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's always a pleasure, and congratulations on what was a terrific season. I know it didn't end the way you would have liked it to, but it really was a great year, and so we're using it today as an analyst, if you don't mind, because I've been trying to figure out all week, like, what are you going to do? What is anyone going to do to slow down this Alabama offense? You, We talked about it this morning on, on Get Up, actually. You sort of did exactly what you want. You limit them to four possessions in the first half against your team, but you just can't stop them. So what does anybody do to try and slow down this Alabama offense? Well, I think there has to be a similar plan, and and that starts with what you do on the offensive side of the ball, and and that is you know, running the football. And, And I think Ohio State has the ability to run the football, but they also have, you know, great playmakers on the perimeter. And, you know, we would have liked to have a little bit more firepower on the perimeter. Um, I think Ohio State has that. But I think it starts with their ability to run the football and, and to use some clock. Now, look, you do want to limit some of the possessions. That is an all-star offense that they have. 
uh, at Alabama. So limiting some possessions would be a smart thing to do. And I think you start there and then uh, you build it accordingly. Since you played them, their star receiver, Devontae Smith, won the Heisman. I think everyone was really moved by his speech. His kid weighs 175 pounds, uh, and there he was talking about how he was never the biggest and he was always doubted. Uh, you just played against him. How would you describe him, particularly for you know fans out there who might be anticipating their team drafting him at the next level? You know, interesting. He's a football player. I mean, and, and, and I, I, I know that sounds like a general term, but he just knows the nuances of the game. Um, you know, he doesn't look imposing or intimidating, but knows how to run routes, get out of routes, uh, knows how to use body position, electric when he catches the football, separates. Um, you know, he was born to play this game. And, and just some are, you know, they just and, – and when you talk about the weapons that they have um, – you know, he just complements that offense so well. Now, if you talk about Waddle coming back as well, uh, who knows how to, to really put uh, that offense into a, uh, a neutral situation because they're so electric. Yeah, that seems to be a possibility. Jalen Waddle, who frankly was the more highly touted player than Smith was before he broke his ankle, might come back and play this week. He's been practicing. We will see. Brian Kelly is with me, head coach of Notre Dame. Um, and, and how about um, Mac Jones? I'm just curious about him. I asked this one actually for self-serving reasons because, <laughs> as you know, I'm a fan of the Jets and, and they're in the market for a quarterback and he's a guy who's going to be draft eligible this year. What would be your scouting report on him having just faced him? You know, I think a lot of people look at him and say there's nothing spectacular about him, but yet, you know, he does everything right. There's, I don't know that there's an inherent weakness that you look at him. He's physically um, really imposing uh, in person. He's big. He's strong. He's smart. Um, you know, he looks ready-made in my sense of, of looking at quarterbacks in terms of their physical presence. Um, he's well-coached. He's in a system that, you know, is direct snap and shotgun. Um, I just think he's he's a guy that can step in and, and compete right away in the NFL and um, certainly has great weapons around him. But wherever he goes, he's going to have NFL players around him that can make plays. Brian Kelly with me, the head coach of Notre Dame. So we'll see. We look forward to that, Alabama and Ohio State. While I have you, I, I was looking over some of the rosters of the playoff teams, and you got a bunch of guys who played for you who are getting ready to play this weekend. In particular, I was looking at Pittsburgh, where Chase Claypool has been so good um, in his rookie year, and they've got Stefan Tuitt and all that. What is it like for you as a coach to watch your players competing on this enormous stage, um, you know, here in the NFL playoffs this week, and, and maybe some of them going on to the Super Bowl? It's a fun weekend. You know, you mentioned all the games that are on this weekend. You know, as a, as a college coach, it's really exciting for me because I, I, I don't really have a particular horse in, in, a, in a, you know, a game. I, I look for my former players. And, and so I can, like, put on the red zone, uh, for example, and, and, and just look for different players that uh, have played at Notre Dame and have played for me at Cincinnati, whether it's Kelsey or, you know, Claypool or, you know, and number of those guys and, and just root for them. It's fun to watch them and see how they have uh, moved from college onto the NFL and, and made a big difference. A guy like Claypool, for example, coming out as a rookie, uh, to make an impact in his first year has been fun to watch. Well, he's been unbelievable, and you know they 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 spread it around. Ben spreads it around. That's why I always say it's hard to predict because one week it's Juju, and then one week it's it's Deontay Johnson, and the next week it's Claypool. But he really burst onto the scene with that one huge game somewhat early in the season, and he's been really good. Did you see him being this much of a factor in the NFL this quickly? You know, 
Mike, here's the whole thing, right? I mean, you know, he's out of Canada, and, you know, a lot of people didn't know about him. He comes to our program. He develops over, you know, four years. He stays in the program. And and we knew he had competitive traits. Look, I look for guys that want to beat you in checkers. You know, I mean, (laughs) this guy loves to compete, and we knew he had that. And sometimes you don't get a chance to see that. You know, when when draft analysts look at things, they look at film and they watch them in film. And and that's a great way to evaluate. But I get a chance to see him a little bit different where he wants to win in everything he does. And you can see that starting to come out. You know, when rookies make an impact, they have an edge and they have a trait. And that's that's really what's allowing him to have success in his film. Brian Kelly from Notre Dame with me. Let me ask you one more thing before we go. Um, you know, we talked multiple times, you and I, during the season, and I know that this was this year was a grind unlike any other, and you really never had a chance to sort of step back and 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 um, maybe look at it big picture because it was just so insane. So now that you have had a chance maybe to catch your breath a little bit over the last week and a half, how would you put into words what this season was for you, for all the kids who play for you, and for everybody in college football? Amazing. An incredible success story. Uh, the college football uh, was able to get in. Uh, we got one more game to go. Let's hope we get it in, right? Uh, but one more game to actually go through a pandemic, uh, not have the, these 18 to 22-year-olds in a bubble, to ask them to sacrifice the way they have to put together a full season uh, is an am- amazing accomplishment. Um, and, you know, with, with the exception of uh, a couple of bad games where, uh, you know, things got out of hand, uh, this was an amazing season and the accomplishments of college football to be able to get this season uh, completed the way it was. I agree. And to the players and to their families, what they were willing to sacrifice in order to have this season, it was inspiring and inspirational, frankly, as as one who just sort of sits around and sometimes is quite cynical. Um, it was inspirational to see how badly they wanted to play. Uh, Brian, enjoy the game Monday again. Happy New Year. We'll catch up down the road. Be well. Thanks, Granny. Thanks for having me on. Take care. That's Brian Kelly, head coach of Notre Dame. Again, that's looking ahead to the Sunday, the uh, Monday night game. Excuse me. The NFL playoffs, of course, are between now and then all weekend long. And our game is Ravens Titans. And I want to make sure you remember that as we have that, that's the early game Sunday. That game's on ABC. It's on ESPN. It's on ESPN Deportes. And we have the Megacast. So that's on ESPN2 and ESPN Plus and Freeform. So you can experience that game in ways that you've never experienced an NFL game before. And it has a chance to be the best game of the weekend. Let's hope they're all good. Uh, coming up next will be today's Green List. It'll tell you what Tom Brady has in common with the richest man in the world. And that is not anything you think it is. That's coming up next. This is Greeny on ESPN Radio. Greeny, the podcast. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest 
with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Greeny, G-R-E-E-N-Y. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, Greeny with you at half past the hour. Coming to you live from above the Heineken River Deck at Pier 17 and presented by Progressive Insurance. Offering coverage options as unique as your business. Progressive covers companies of many sizes and specialties. Learn more at ProgressiveCommercial.com. I want to let everybody who needs to know know we're going to break a little early here because we have Al Michaels coming up. So we're going to break in about seven, eight minutes so that we have plenty of extra time. The legendary Al Michaels could only do the end of the show today. We want to make sure we have plenty of time for him. Talk football with the legendary voice of the National Football League for what feels like my entire lifetime, Al Michaels. But right now, it is time for The List. The List is what determines who matters in this business. The Green List. Okay, so every day we give you The Green List, I give you my top five, this, that, or the other. And today, in honor of the Cleveland Browns making the playoffs for the first time since 2002, today's Green List are the top five things That happened in 2002, according to me. These are the top five things that happened in 2002, not by any other standard of measure than I think they are. That's today's green list, and here we go. Number five. Uh, That would be the Patriots' first Super Bowl of this era. 2002, January, or I guess the first week of February of 2002, was the first Patriot Super Bowl of this run, where Brady legendarily beat the Rams in that Super Bowl game, and I will tell you what I remember about it. That was the sixth Super Bowl I covered as a member of the media, my third for ESPN, and I had covered three before I got to ESPN. And what I remember about the previous five was that security, while present, was comparatively non-consequential. I don't know what the right word for it is. Like the example I can give you is the year before in, in the Super Bowl of 2001, my daughter, my wife was still on maternity leave, so we brought my daughter with us down to Tampa for the Super Bowl. When I, when I got to get my ID taken for my credential, they let me hold the baby in my arms. So I have a picture of myself with my four-month-old daughter, Nikki, on my media credential for the Super Bowl because you could joke around. Golik did like a picture with like a hat and glasses and a cigar or something like that, some crazy picture. Boy, the next year it was different. The first Super Bowl after, 2000, uh, after September 11th was entirely different. And you might recall, if you're old enough, what the mood in the country was then. There was real genuine fear that terrorists would try to disrupt the Super Bowl. So I remember sort of an aura of trepidation around that game, being there that week in New Orleans as I was, and um, just the general, the overwhelming presence of security, rightfully so, which has continued. Now it is, is that way at Super Bowls all the time. It had not been previously. That changed everything. Number four. Uh, of the th- most important things that happened in 2002. That was the year Elon Musk founded SpaceX. 
Yesterday, Elon Musk, Musk became the richest person in the world. Yesterday, Elon Musk surpassed Jeff Bezos as the richest person on planet Earth. Words which I would give anything to have someday spoken of me. <laughs> what would you give to hear that? Now, we used to say on Mike and Mike, what comes after the comma? You know, Mike Greenberg, comma, ESPN announcer, whatever it is. What would you give to hear? Mike Greenberg, comma, the richest person on planet Earth. <laughs> That's what Elon Musk became yesterday. But anyway, in 2002, he founded SpaceX, which I guess set him on this path to being the richest person on planet Earth. Next. Number three. At number three, 2002, American Idol debuted. Do you remember who the winner was? Do you remember who won the first American Idol? Kelly Clarkson. Kelly Clarkson won American Idol, the first American. That's how she became famous. American Idol in its first season was as big as anything has ever been, ever. Like that was a happening. Kelly Clarkson won and became like the biggest star in music for a while. He had one hit after another. But that debuted in 2002. That was the first year of it. As we go through the top five things that happened in 2002 in honor of that being the last time the Browns we're in the playoffs. Number two. This one, I think, will hit close to home for everyone. 2002 was the year that Sanyo, the electronics company Sanyo, released the first cell phone that had a camera built into it. 2002. So 18, call it 19 years ago. That was the, that was the first time there was a camera in your phone. So prior to that, Gather around, kids, and let me tell you about a time that if you wanted to take pictures of something, you had to actually have a camera. <laughs> like, when my kids were very little, we had cameras. We, we started buying the disposable ones, and you would take it into the, you know, the CVS or the Walgreens, and they would develop them for you and go pick them up. Who even knows that exists? I don't think my children know that there ever was such a thing. In 2002 was the year they first put Sanyo. Who would have, who would have guessed that was the company that did it? They were the first ones to put a camera into the cell phone. And then finally, number one, you have to do sports. That year, 2002, was the third consecutive and last of the Kobe Shaq championships. So the Lakers swept the then New Jersey Nets to win the championship in June of 2002. That was the completion of their three-peat. And it was the last title that Shaq and Kobe won together. And I can tell you for certain, as one who was, like I was doing Mike and Mike already by then, we were covering that series. If you had told me, or if I had told you, when they finished that sweep, Shaq and Kobe were done winning championships together, you would have gotten laughed out of any room in the world and you could have made a trillion dollars making that bet. Shaq and Kobe looked like they were set up to win five more championships. And frankly, under different circumstances, probably could have and should have and would have. And we all know they didn't. But that was the year they won their last one together. Now, Shaq went to Miami and won another ring. Kobe won two more in L.A. with Powell. But it was never quite the same. That was one of the great combinations. Kobe and Shaq together, about as good as anybody has ever been. What is that, Bubba? Al is calling. Okay, so we will have Al Michaels coming up in just a minute. Greeny, the podcast. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. 
Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. We are back. Get up on. Get up. Well, it's the first time I've done it. It probably won't be the last. This is Greeny on ESPN Radio with you. And as we head into what is an unprecedentedly great football weekend, first time ever we get six playoff games, uh, we know that the Sunday night game, Cleveland and Pittsburgh, which will be on NBC and Peacock, will feature, of course, the legendary voice of Al Michaels as he and Chris and Michelle wrap up a decade of dominance. Sunday night football will be the number one primetime show on television for a 10th consecutive season that has never happened before. It's a testament to how good they are and how incredibly popular professional football is in this country. And Al Michaels joins me on the Goodyear Hotline. Happy New Year, Al. Thanks for a few minutes. Hey, my pleasure, Mike. I've got to start with a little story because I've been listening to you this morning and yes. you're talking about the security at the uh, 2002 Super Bowl yeah. and how intense it was because uh, that was shortly after 9-11. The first time I ever did a game with really intense security was 1990, the Super Bowl in Tampa, mm-hmm. and that's the uh, Giants-Bills game. Norwood misses the uh, field goal at the end. Giants win the game. So we had invaded Iraq about a week and a half before that. It's the first time I'd shown up at a stadium and had these concrete barriers are all over the place. The night before the game, it's 9 o'clock, I'm doing the game with uh, Frank Gifford and Dan Deardorff, and we're told by our boss the night before the game at 9 o'clock, we have to come into this meeting with six local SWAT team members. Mm. And they then spend a half an hour telling us that if the booth is invaded by terrorists, here is what we need to do, okay? And we're sitting there, and this is I want to prepare for the game. And I'm listening to this, and you guys guys do this and that, and we'll, we'll take you out. So we walk out of the room, and, I mean, Deardorff looked like, oh, my God, you know, this is crazy. And I looked over at Gifford, and I said, Frank, I said, you know what this is? Six guys want to get into the game for free, okay, and watch the game. And Frank looks at me, and he goes, a thousand percent. So, I mean, the th- how ludicrous would it be that terrorists are going to come in and kidnap the announcers, of all things? But anyway, you know, that we, we've gone to the, gotten to the point now where it's just uh, – it's crazy, but it, I guess it has to be in terms of the preparation and the security that is involved in any big event in this country. If I were you, I would have stood behind Deerdorf. That would have felt like the safest place. <laughs> that would have done it. <laughs> Al Michaels uh, is with me. Yeah, I got so many things in such a limited time. Let me run through as sure. many as I can here while I have you. And and, and the first, I, I, I want to ask you about your game. You guys on Sunday night have Cleveland and Pittsburgh. And, and I know I'm sure you've been talking to the people, you know, that both teams, the Browns, this is unprecedented. They still haven't been able to practice. They may not be able to at all. The head coach won't be there. He also calls the plays. What are the people there you're talking to telling you about what, what they expect this to be like for them? You know, they're just, they're just trying to move past this and look ahead because if you sit there and you lament what's going on, I mean, that, that can weigh on you. Look, there's no question about it. I mean, Pittsburgh has an advantage, the fact that Cleveland hasn't even been able to get into the facility this week. They haven't practiced. Not only the head coach is out, you've got uh, Batonio is out, you've got a, a, a Hodge, a special teams. Uh, Maven is out. Who knows between now and then what's going to happen? Uh, one advantage they have, of course, is the fact that you have 
no fans there, or I guess they're going to have friends and family to the extent of 2,500 fans, which is the equivalent of nobody there. So at least, you know, Mayfield can uh, can call the signals, can change the play at the line of scrimmage. So that's a, a slight advantage that they wouldn't have had under normal circumstances. But, you know, it's an interesting thing, Mike. Uh, I think Andrew Beaton had a really good column in the Wall Street Journal, I think it was last week, about teams have been able to work through the fact that they've had limited practices, fewer practices, less time at the facility, et cetera, et cetera. The quality of play this year in the NFL has been pretty good. I don't notice much of a difference. Penalties are down. Scoring is up. The league likes that. And I think you're going to go through an offseason now where a lot of people are going to say, just how much time do we need? I'm not saying you need no practice time, but maybe it'll be a limited amount because teams who have gone through these problems have still shown up and either won or you know put on a respectable performance. I expect that to happen with Cleveland on, on Sunday night. We'll see. I'm with you, and I think it's been an extraordinary accomplishment, and that was really what I wanted to ask you here. Again, Al Michaels, he and the crew on NBC, they have two games this weekend, including Al's game is Sunday night in Pittsburgh with the Browns and the Steelers. But you've been around it so long. You've done so many huge games over the course of, of your life. How would you describe the accomplishment of the National Football League, every single person involved, of putting this season on under these circumstances and getting in all 256 games and, 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 and putting on the product that it was. And winding up with game 256, exactly when it was supposed to be played last Sunday night. I would say going back to the beginning of the season, Mike, I would have given it about a 10% chance. When we opened up the season with Houston at Kansas City on September, I think, uh, 9th or 10th. Mm-hmm. And the season began on that Thursday night, and I, Chris and I were talking about the fact, you know, we, we gave it very little chance. We thought what would happen is during the course of the season, there'd be a week or two that would be taken off, and you could move the Super Bowl as far back as, let's say, March. Why not? I mean, they're playing hockey in August and Tampa Bay skating around with the Stanley Cup, you know, in the middle of the summer. Mm-hmm. So you can't, you could have moved it back. It wouldn't have been easy. But I would, I would think that to get to this point was – was was pretty amazing, and, and again, you had tons of speed bumps and and problems along the way, and making uh, these turns and going through kind of a maze. But um, it, it's it's a pretty amazing thing that the league was able to get to this point and and get there on time, at least to this at least to this juncture. I agree completely, and and they're going to get to. The, we certainly hope they're going to get to the finish line, and they've put together a great season quickly. And I'd love to do this at some point when we have a half hour. But you, know, you and I have talked many times. I think the professional tombstone for Al Michaels will say, "Do you believe in miracles?" But you've done so much football, and we're here talking about football. What's the football game that jumps to mind when, when we when when we look back on Al Michaels' career doing football, which I feel like you've been doing literally all of my life. What is the game that you will say, yeah, that, I did that game, and that was the one that I remember the most? My favorite game, I think, would be the 2008 Super Bowl when the Arizona Cardinals met the Pittsburgh Steelers. And Arizona had been blown out toward the end of the season, I think 50 to nothing in a game at New England. And somehow they wind up in the playoffs. And then somehow they wind up getting to the Super Bowl. And that was a team everybody saying, what are they doing here? And I love, you know, I, I always chide my partner, Chris Collinsworth, who was on Football Night, the pregame show during those years, who said this is the worst team to ever get to postseason. He said it at the beginning of postseason. Of course, then they, they, they run the table in the wild card, the divisional, and they knock off Philadelphia in the NFC championship game. They get there, and then they're, they're, here they have a chance to take the lead going into halftime. And Kurt Warner throws a pass, and James Harrison intercepts it, 
and runs 100 yards at the end of the half, a linebacker running 100 yards down the sideline. I think I said he, he's running through the entire state of Arizona. Mm-hmm. There's about six or seven missed tackles. The clock is running out, and he gets into the end zone. If he doesn't get into the end zone, Mike, the clock runs out. They can't even kick a field goal. So instead of Arizona having the lead, if they get a touchdown, now Pittsburgh's got the lead, and they're up by 11 at that point. And then there were two really good goal line stands by by uh, Arizona to keep the game as a one-possession game, and then they score, and then Fitzgerald gets free with two and a half minutes to go, and Arizona has the lead. With two and a half minutes to go, you know, the team that a lot of people thought was the worst team to ever get the postseason is going to win the Super Bowl. And, of course, then Roethlisberger leads the, uh, the Steelers back down the field, uh, converts every third down play. Santonio Holmes makes an unbelievable catch. If, if you look at the Sports Illustrated cover, there are three Cardinals around Holmes. He's able to make the catch, stay in bounds, and I think Roethlisberger told us the next year that he was like the fourth choice. And then it, it was just a wild and crazy game. And the other thing I'll always remember, Mike, is I didn't know it at the time and wouldn't know it until April, but that was the, 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 at the end of my seventh year with uh, John Madden, and that turned out to be John's last game. Hmm. In April he said, he's done, I've had enough, I'm, you know, I'm out of here. What a game. So, Oh, yeah, that's that's my favorite football memory. I remember it well. We'll be watching Sunday. Al, uh, congratulations, by the way, and I, I'm, I'm just literally out of time, but yep, I hope we can sure. do it again soon. Congratulations on the Baseball Hall of Fame, which is richly deserved. Thank you for the time today, and, and, and let's do this again as soon as we can, and we'll tell some more stories. Thank you, Al. We can, Mike. Stay well. Uh, that's the great Al Michaels here. As we go off the air, and I'm so sorry to be the bearer of this bad news, and I didn't want to just spring it on Al Michaels with 30 seconds left in the show. Uh, we are getting word that Tommy Lasorda has died. Tommy Lasorda, the legendary manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers, one of the most beloved figures, I, I think you could say, in the history of American sports, has died at the age of 93. He lived a rich, full, wonderful life. He was loved by so many, and he has died at the age of 93. The coverage will continue all day long. Have a wonderful weekend, and I will see you next week. I'm Greeny on ESPN Radio. Greeny, the podcast.